0: You're listening to Satellite Sisters. Not every conversation will change your life, but any conversation can. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California, on today with my sisters Liz Dolan in Santa Monica, California.
1: Santa Monica, (laughs) which will be the center of the universe on Saturday. More on that later.
2: Okay, I want to hear how you're going to pronounce Dallas, Texas, Leanne. Go ahead. (laughs) Dallas,
0: Texas. (laughs) That would be me, Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. How are things in Dallas, Julie?
2: I the, the countdown is on. I have to say, I'm super excited to be coming out to California for the big event this weekend. All five satellite sisters in one place in Santa Monica, California. Okay, we're going to be talking about that shortly. Liz,
0: Liz, as Julie said, now is now just full-time. Filming and taking pictures in and around the Santa Monica Public Library. But so, I'm
2: afraid you're gonna get arrested, Liz. You know, like you know, that it's just so suspicious. You're taking pictures of like back doors and uh secret entrances, parking lots.
1: Oh that's action. true. I emailed you the picture of the, the back door that we have to sneak in so everybody doesn't see us arrive. Yeah. That's true. But now we've now we've blown that surprise.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, again, calm down, people. We're not the Beatles. Um, just calm down. All right. We do have a full show. We're going to talk about something other than ourselves today. Uh, of course, from the North Korean desk. I mean, Julie, you must be on fire there. I mean, it must, I, I, is it hourly?
2: I know it's it's like really I, I this is all I can do is talk about North Korea today because I, it's it's moment by moment things are breaking breaking news in North Korea and who knew that uh, the little trip by two girlfriends like uh, you know a couple years back would lead me now to my position as leading expert on the DPRK <laughs> yes. but clearly I am having yes. listened to many television and radio commentators on the topic it's like I know more than these people. Okay. You just get yourself know, one of those I think leather.
1: Every time I hear them going on and on, Julie, like, oh, come on. Julie knows more than that. Just Julie, walked the streets of Pyongyang. Come on.
0: Get yourself a leather jacket. You'll be good to go. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, also, I took a spring break. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Liz has some news from Delta Airlines. Don't be scared. It's Delta and a book nook, a highly recommendable audio book she listened to. Plus, you know, um, the guy who actually invented the Internet died this week. And you can insert your own Al Gore joke right here. Okay, I'll (laughs) wait. Okay. Uh, But his name was Bob Taylor. And reading about his management style made me think I'd like to ask our business expert, Liz Dolan, about this, or my sister with the MBA, Julie Dolan, about this. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, Liz, what is the event what is the event need to know situation?
1: What's, ha- okay. What's
2: happening? Yeah, what do we need to know, Liz? So maybe you should start with the sisters.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I sent all of you guys a, a rundown over the weekend, correct? Everybody got an email. Uh, just telling you what I knew and what I was recommending in terms of like the flow of the day, because there are a lot of things going on We're we're obviously doing the presentation from the stage. But, you know, we have books to sell. We have books to sign. We have the the meetup afterwards at Esther's Wine Bar. So there were just a lot of things I felt like I needed to recap and kind of line up for all of you. So I sent that out. I mean, I talk to you guys all the time, so I was pretty certain you guys were on board with it. Uh, I had had some communication with Monica because when Monica flies in on Friday, I'm picking her up at LAX and she's staying with me. So so I sort of knew what Monica's plan was, but the 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 mystery was Sheila, like the, the check-in with <laughs> isn't, Sheila. Isn't isn't that always the case <laughs> so uh and she did not respond to the email so you know I gave it I gave it a day or two and I thought well I should just check in, check in and make sure that she's she's really coming right because right? that would yeah I that, know would would, for, that would for be embarrassing for us yes uh so um so I called her yesterday morning because she's a tutor, I know that her work hours are after school hours. So the morning is the best time to reach her. I So I called her uh, yesterday morning. Yesterday was the 17th. And uh, she did not pick up. I left her a message. And then about an hour later, I got a text from her saying, I'll call you tomorrow. I'm doing my taxes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. So here we are, the 17th. right up to the deadline working on those taxes so anyway but she said i'm in so like you can you can rest easy she's in she just had to get those taxes done first before uh before she responded to the email so yeah all five sisters uh it's been a while since all five sisters have been on stage together i was thinking even at the big brooklyn event a year and a half ago Monica wasn't there, right? Correct. Right.
2: That's right. Yeah, Monica
1: was- couldn't come because of a work thing now that you know she's like reinventing stroke mm-hmm. uh, treatment, stroke treatment uh, in the world. So yeah, so the five of us will all be there. Went over to the library yesterday. It's a beautiful theater. It's the Martin Luther King Auditorium in the back of the Santa Monica Library, which is a very nice, modern, beautiful building. Uh, Here's the thing. So I met with Barbara. Barbara is the boss over there. We walked through everything. Barbara just wants to make sure everyone knows that theater seats 140 people. Like, that's it. The fire marshals are very strict about this. So our event starts at 2 o'clock. But at one o'clock, the library personnel starts giving out numbered tickets. And well, so they're free, but numbered tickets. So once they get to 140, they're done. You know, that's it. So uh, just FYI, you know how prompt we are. I would suggest promptness will, will be good. Uh, so that's at one o'clock, they start giving out the tickets. And obviously, they give them out till they're done uh, at uh, also between 1 and 2, at some point between 1 and one we we'll open the doors and we will have someone there selling You're the Best. So if you need to stock up on books, um, we're happy to, uh, to satisfy that need. So we'll be selling books. And then at one forty-five, the doors to the auditorium actually open and people can come in. And at 2 o'clock, uh, we start. And Leanne, you um, you made a lot of the decisions about what the format is. Do you want to describe <laughs> our format? Well, no, I made one decision. One and the decision de- was... The only decision.
0: Yeah, I, the decision was, I don't feel like telling my four sisters what to do. So <laughs> the format is Ask Us Anything. That's... Yeah, that was it. I'm tired of telling you people what to do. So, <laughs> so we're opting for a free-for-all. Uh, we're, no, we're going to do a little history of the show up top for people who are not familiar. And then we're, gonna, we're each going to talk about our most memorable Satellite Sisters moments, which may or may not have been on the air, um, a little behind-the-scenes stuff. And then we're going to take your questions. And we're really happy to have our former executive producer and good friend, Corny Cole, is going to be moderating and like running the show from the stage, so it'll be really fun to have Corney on stage, and we'll be taking questions both from Facebook and also from the audience.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that'll be that'll be good. So we'll be we'll be streaming this on Facebook Live. We have not done that before as an event, but Julie and I did a little test a couple of weeks ago the fi- the fireside test. And
2: yes. the lighting, we hope, will be a little better than it was outside in uh, Marina Del Rey when we attempted that. Liz, I think we, I think we can achieve slightly better lighting, don't you yes, think? Yes,
1: but that was dramatic lighting. That's, yes, we look good. good. We look pretty good.
2: Yeah, because yeah. it was dark. Yeah, I liked it.
1: Well, as a matter of fact, I'm doing another test today, Julie. So my the the Facebook Live will be shot by my friend slash next door neighbor Deborah. And so uh, she's a little nervous about this because she hasn't done it before. But you literally just turn your phone on. Right. We watched your husband do it, Julie. It's like, right, go. So we're thinking we can handle this. So Deborah and I are going to do a little live test today uh, just to make sure that um, that she's confident. And then the other thing I'm trying to figure out, maybe somebody knows how to do this. Uh, but the uh, so the Facebook live, the video streams and then it's there. Remember, you have to like our Facebook page to see this it doesn't stream to the Facebook group it goes to the Facebook page uh, which is you don't you just like it and you'll automatically get that but then we're trying to figure out if there's a way to extract the audio and run that as a podcast and I don't know we don't we don't know if you know how to do that uh, could you let us know yesterday I emailed our old engineer many of you may remember John Ramos he's now the king of Facebook live over at Fox Sports Radio He's on, um, what's his name, Jay Moore's uh, sports talk show. So uh, so John's helping me figure it out. We'll, we'll try to figure that out, or we won't, whatever. Facebook Live, that,
2: <laughs> that should start about 2 o'clock. That adds to the excitement. <laughs> Either we'll figure it out, or we won't. Okay, I like it.
1: Yeah. And then, and that should go for about an hour, and then we sign books for an hour, and then, uh, then we walk across the parking lot over to Esther's Wine Bar. I thought my video of Esther's Wine Bar was very nice. It was appealing, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it looks really cute. I can't wait to go. And you, t- you, you also sent to all the sisters, and I'm sure many people who are planning to come already know this, that the weather looks like it's going to be beautiful on Saturday afternoon, right? In the 80s
1: and sunny sunny and in the 80s here in Santa Monica, which is enveloped in a very thick marine layer this morning. It's what we call fog here in Santa Monica. and uh, But no, it looks like Saturday afternoon is going to be great. So anyone who's like road tripping in for the weekend, we know there are a bunch of you that are staying at the Georgian Hotel and other people coming in. I think it's going to be a really great weekend just to be around Santa Monica. It's a lot of fun here. You know, Santa Monica is just a fun place to visit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, so that's the deal. So the tickets at one o'clock starting at one o'clock. Oh, and there's parking. I posted the, the little mini video. There's- Liz, Liz, just
2: don't get arrested. Okay. I mean, it's just only a few more days before this event.
1: Okay. Yeah. Let's, hope, the thing, yeah, let's hope
2: there's not
0: a big heist at the library. Cause you're going to be like the number one <laughs> suspect.
1: <laughs> I just knew that any minute now people were going to start emailing us or posting the question, where do I park? Especially right, the question. especially the people from California. That's what they love to talk about. How do I get there? And where do I park? Yes, so it's absolutely I just, true. <laughs> I just wanted to anticipate the parking <laughs> questions. And there's parking under the library. So and you can stay there when you go to Esther's. So I think we're all good. Okay, so that's, that's pretty much the deal. For the event. So you're excited. Julie, you're flying in Friday, right?
2: I'm flying in Friday. I'm just very excited to meet the people who are coming to see us. I have to say that these are people that I know have been listening to our podcasts. It is always exhilarating to actually meet people who listen to us don't you think yeah, so, so i'm excited about that i'm going to be bunking in at leon's house that's uh that's my uh assignment so lean and i will will no doubt liz be on time uh at the santa monica library so don't you, worry you can help that. me with the book schlepping it's very glamorous you'll see it's how
0: glamorous it is yeah, i the won't only be driving
2: the... going to be doing the driving yeah
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah don't worry uh <laughs> don't <laughs> The only the only hitch is I can't find any teenage girls to sell the books cuz they're all at Coachella. Like seriously. Oh, all my oh. usual girls are at Coachella. So if anyone's coming and has a teenager who, who doesn't really want to watch us but wouldn't mind sitting out with the books i could would just throw a few bucks i mean seriously (laughs) we're at that stage now uh yeah it's a a paying gig it's a paying gig it's not that hard if you have a spare teenager around who'd like to make a few bucks they can sit with the books and sell them i can show them what to do while we're in i believe
2: they could get community service hours for this because it will the event is held at the santa monica public library i
0: (laughs) would sign any paper whatever you need me to say (laughs) because I don't believe in community service. Mandatory community <laughs> service. So, if you okay, want to get 20 hours, I'm your girl. Just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Yeah, but you could be on book duty, Julie. It's very glamorous. She'll see. being a being a, being an author, very glamorous. So, that's it. Looking forward to it. We Julie okay, and I yeah. worked out our outfits, so we don't we won't clash. We know what we're wearing, so
1: we're good. Oh, you do already? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes,
2: Liz, of course. Come on, yeah. Liz.
1: Well, Julie asked me what kind of seating we would be on so that she could gauge how long her skirt needed to be, right, Joel? You-
2: <laughs> yes. Well, it was part of, yes. Thank you for sharing that behind the scenes <laughs> comment. Because now everyone's going to be looking we'll be at their skirt. At your leg. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Liz. <laughs>
0: sisters so you get your free consultation then 50 percent off at pros.com slash sisters and pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, thanks, prose. pros.com slash sisters thanks pros liz and leand here and we are so grateful to have ocea support satellite sisters why because it's just a great product holy cow do we we love ocea's skin and body care and you know what this mother's day And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. So head on over to oseamalibu.com and
1: use code SATSisters for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. Yeah, I haven't really decided that yet. But uh, I did test the lighting yesterday, too, on stage. So we're good. Um, All right. It's going to be a very, very exciting weekend. Now what else? Oh last weekend I had a um a royal activity I wanted to tell you about. Mm-hmm. You guys may recall the author, Sally Bedell Smith, has been on Satellite Sisters in the past, right?
2: Yes. She's she was a great guest. She's a great author. I I I loved having her on the show.
1: Yes. So she, she had written a book about um Jack and Jackie in the White House. I think that was, we might have interviewed her several times, but I think the first time we interviewed her, it was about her Jackie Kennedy book, which was great. She also, she wrote a book about Queen Elizabeth. And she's a contributing editor at Vanity Fair. She writes these amazingly detailed, well-told stories of famous royals, politicians, that sort of thing. Well, her new book, is called Prince Charles: The Passions and Paradoxes of an Improbable Life.
2: And li- listeners, I'm so, so sorry. That Julie that. kind
1: of has a thing for Prince Charles, mm-hmm.
2: and not in a good way. Not in a good way about Prince Charles.
1: <laughs> so I thought. So I noticed that she was reading and signing downtown last Friday night, and at first I thought, Who does a book reading on Good Friday? That seems like a poor choice. <laughs> But whatever, just, that's the way book tour schedules go, people. You just never know where you're going to turn up right. in the city. So I thought, I thought I will go because Julie is really going to want a copy of this book. And I was assuming that it was a total takedown of Prince Charles. Like this is the, the dirt we always wanted to know about Prince Charles forever. So I go down to this thing. Uh, I stand in line to buy the book because I'm sure that Julie is going to want a copy of this book, which will be the ultimate takedown of Prince Charles. And then I get to the front of the line and I introduce myself to Sally Bedell Smith. And when you're on the radio, people have are very rarely in the studio with you. So you have to say, and I'm a satellite sister, la la la. And, but the moment I started to say that she was like, Oh, I always loved being on your show. And of course now they always say whatever happened to that. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, she's not in podcasting world so much. Uh, but the moment I told her that we've been podcasting for the last 10 years or so uh, since she last came to visit us, she offered to be on the podcast. I'm like, OK, yeah, OK, well, maybe we can do that. It just it depends on how much dirt you have on Prince Charles. So, um, <laughs> so, so like, I got the book. I had her sign it to you, Julie, because, again, this was all about giving Julie everything she wanted to know about Prince Charles to like just, you know finished the case on him once and for all. So it's to Julie with fond memories of talking about Jack and Jackie in 2004. Best wishes, Sally Bedell Smith.
2: Oh, that's a very nice inscription. Yeah, she was very nice.
1: nice. She would like to talk to you about it. But then I said, well, I'm probably going to end up asking a question about Camilla.
2: (laughs) Because... (laughs) Yes, because Julie is very curious about Camilla. Curious (laughs) is not the word, Liz. I am about Camilla, but yes, good, good question. And what was? Okay, good
1: news, bad news, Julie. Uh, Sally Bedell Smith spent years researching this book, spending a lot of quality time with Charles and Camilla, and their friends and Mm. the whole social circle, and she actually came away. With admiration for both of them, Julie Dolan, both of them. Uh, so I'm not even sure. I mean, I'll give you this book when you're here this weekend, but you might not want to read it because uh, <laughs> she has. Yeah, she unless, has,
2: unless it has dirt in it. I know. I, I wonder who is going to read it.
1: Who, I, no, mean, I think there is plenty of cool, interesting stuff in here. There, she talked a lot. So she gave a talk that was like 45 minutes which I recorded, if you'd just like to listen to that. Uh, but she talked a lot about his romantic life, what you think of as his, like, cheating, lying heart. His adulterous <laughs> affair, yes. yes.
0: His tawdry okay. sex life, yes. Thank yeah. you, Liz. Yeah. Yeah, okay. She
1: did not use the word tawdry, just that, you know... She went to, like, Camilla was the love of his life and never should have married Diana, but he was under all this pressure to get, like, the sweet virginal girl. And, you know, so she, I would just say she she cuts Prince Charles a lot of slack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a very detailed book about just their social life and their social scene, but also what he, I mean, I've always felt like Prince Charles was, just kind of a loser because loser,
2: yes, with the big
1: yeah. you've been you've been waiting to get your gig. <laughs> He's now what sixty something,
2: right. and.
1: It's got
2: like organic farms. That's it. That's all he's got going for
1: him. Well, she actually talks about that in a sense. He was a true visionary when it came to environmental issues, architectural issues. She has a lot of admiration for him that he sort of put himself out there into the world in that way. Instead of just being sort of the Prince of Wales and waiting to to become king, he actually created a job for himself and has been out there doing that. So Whatever
2: so there you go it's here for you if, if, well thank you Liz I, I appreciate your kindness and consideration but I don't think that book is going to do well I mean if you know I mean who you read books about people you admire or you have some curiosity about but when it comes to you know you know him it's like <laughs> ick it, you know ick right well I'm
1: most sure. people don't feel as strongly about it as you do I, I think, think they, they do, do. I
0: think- I think think they do. Yeah. I think they do.
1: I I do have to say at this event Friday night, I was younger than anyone else in the room by about 20 years. So he's got a certain demographic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Say no more. Well, well, I'm sure like he'll just go to, you know, he'll get his mother to buy, you know, a lot of copies of the book. So it doesn't look bad, right?
1: Okay. Now you're getting petty. I don't, I don't think he cares. I think he said so many people write so many things about him that at this point he does not care. Anyway, Sally Bedell Smith sends her best and she is an amazing writer. So that's so. Yes,
2: absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Want to pass that along. Okay. Speaking of, you know, how few members of the Windsor family we actually admire, I would now like to move on to Prince Harry. So despite the handicap of having Prince Charles as a father, um, Prince Harry is turning into quite an interesting uh, man, and you may have read, it was all over the papers the last couple of days, that he and his brother and Kate have launched a program in the UK called Heads Together, and it is a program to uh, end stigma around mental health issues, mental health issues in the UK to sort of speak out about the importance of seeking help when you need it and all the different kinds of issues that people may have to deal with. So, you know, and the Royals put their name on a lot of things. But this is the first thing that Harry and his brother and his sister-in-law have ever done together. And uh, so they just decided this is what they wanted to go out there with. But interestingly to me, as part of this, Harry sort of Uh, came out of the closet on the fact that he sought counseling, um, talked to uh, a shrink, as he said. He said, that's what you Americans call it, a shrink. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, He sought counseling to address the trauma after his mother died, but it was 20 years later. He said, you know, his mom died. Princess Diana died when he was 12. He Mm. said he just, like didn't know what to do with all those emotions, stuck his head in the sand. Then he had this, you know, crazy life. He was off in Afghanistan as a soldier, you know, and you can imagine that, you know, the royal life is just such a weird life anyway. And, um, and he said he had never really dealt with the grief over his mother and that he had two years of what he described as total chaos in his late 20s. No, I think we have a photo. We've
2: seen (laughs) seen some of that chaos. We've
1: seen the the naked pool playing photo uh, taken in Vegas. So I think that was during the the two years of chaos. Anyway, finally, you know, it was his brother who said to him, you know, you really need to talk to someone. You should go. Uh, His brother said, "Uh, you really need to deal with this. It's not normal to think that nothing has affected you. And uh so that's when he sought counseling and now he's sort of you know, he feels like it was hugely helpful and that's what he wants to speak out about. So, you know, for these royals who are like so protected and told to like not share anything and I mean that's a pretty gutsy thing to do, especially in England, which is so much a culture of stiff upper lip, right? Right. Repression, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was pretty amazed. I I I think his mother would be very proud of him because she was very open about some of the struggles that she had. Yeah. And uh, I think to have her son, you know, sort of address this in a very public way, just, you know, that, you know, that is great. And it gives comfort to other people who are really struggling and, you know, or other people that maybe are, you know, want to seek counseling, but have, but are afraid to, or afraid of the stigma. You know, I think that's, it's a great thing. So So Harry, Harry, two thumbs up. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting as part of this uh, campaign, he appeared on a podcast. Uh, So there's a, a journalist, a woman in the UK whose name is Brioni Gordon, and she just launched to support this whole campaign, a new podcast called Mad World where in every episode she's going to talk to someone who has dealt with mental health issues. So he's the first episode. So I was listening to the episode, and it's really kind of interesting to actually hear him talk about it. Hmm. If, you're, if you're interested in that, it's very easy to find online. Just Google Prince Harry Mental Health. Um, there were two funny things when he's talking. He said, because uh, of course she asks, like, is there any way I can also get to your grandmama or grandmother and and he's like you know i don't think she's really the podcast type (laughs) and which what about that
2: loser father of yours
1: (laughs) (laughs) no but harry harry admits that you know he's sort of new to podcasting too so this is this is enough for him he's not sure his grandmother could really do that so then they because i had imagined them that they were in a studio somewhere and then she said, no, well, here we are sitting at Kensington Palace. Oh, so that made me laugh, too. But uh, so then they were sitting at Kensington Palace taping this uh, podcast about mental health. And she she's very fun and very interesting. And she was sort of giving them a hard time that they, they're in this room that's where they're surrounded by, like, signed pictures of Prince Harry and he's like, I know it's so embarrassing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is embarrassing. Anyway. So, uh, I, I, yeah, good on you, Prince Harry. And I think, I think you guys are right. I think princess Diana would be proud. So, Whatever uh whatever Prince Charles may have tried to do to you to turn you into some kind of <laughs> repressed freak, not so much. There you go. Prince Harry, yes.
2: Good royal report, Liz. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Unusual coming from Liz. Well, speaking yes. of Harry, uh Okay, that's
2: great. Good Anne. idea to put it all in a nice basket like that. Use your Lane. basket. Well that's I, yeah. oh, that, I that's a very cute gift. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah, yeah so. and not
0: like in an actual basket he can reuse again. He really really enjoyed it. <laughs> really. <laughs> there was hand soap in there. There was just okay. a lot of so you know, a lot of sundries and things, uh including the Harry's products that he really appreciated. So, he's been very busy at school, so this was a it was, he needed much needed, much needed. Okay.
2: Well done. Well done. Well, sisters, uh, we have to talk about North Korea because everybody's talking about North Korea. And certainly things have heated up between the United States and North Korea. There's strong talk, their leather jackets, their <laughs> aircraft carriers, their oh. parades, their missiles, their missile tests. I mean, it is really just amazing how. What was sort of, you know, this constant nagging, annoying, you know, horrible human rights situation, but not certainly front and center, all of a sudden is now front and center, you know, and it's uh, it's terrifying. I mean, they mentioned yesterday that Hawaii is now looking over their emergency plans uh, because of their proximity to North Korea. Um, and, you know, North Korea today vowed that they are going to do a missile test every single day. That's that's their new goal. So uh, and this is, you know, this is a country I mean, this is a country that I visited several years ago. But I think that, you know, many things are very much the same. The same. It is a country run on repression, on fear, and most importantly, propaganda. You know, when I was there five years ago, we'd wake up in the morning in our hotel room and we could hear the loudspeakers out in the center of Pyongyang, you know, announcing, you know, what the dear leader had hoped for for the day. I mean, this is a country that is cut off from all, you know, there's, you know, people aren't allowed to travel. The population is undereducated. You know, they don't have access to the internet. They have their own North Korean intranet which has all the news they need to have and you know that and that anyone that either speaks up or acts out is put in a terrible concentration camp so they have they and their propaganda all centers on the united states as the aggressors and you know and being prepared for war when i was there they were prepared for war they they expected at any minute that they were going to have to lead the attack or they were going to be attacked. So, you know, as you see, the, the position of the United States changed in many ways. This plays into the North Korean propaganda narrative in a you know, this is, you know, because now they're saying, see, this is exactly what we were talking about. The United States is this aggressor and that yeah, we that do, we are
1: planning to attack any day. We are
2: planning which, to they have been
1: this. saying for 50 years when it was not true.
2: Well, Yeah, it was, you know, we have been trying the diplomatic approach. And I think the other thing that's equally frightening is this young Kim Jong-un. When I was there, it was his father, Kim Jong-il, who was there. And Kim Jong-un, he's now the, th- you know, he is the grandson of Kim Il-sun, who is really the spiritual leader of, of North Korea. He's the one that is frozen. You know, he's the one that's revered, you know, all power authority flows from him. So now you're, you're down another generation. And this young Kim Jong Un, he doesn't have the same respect or authority or credibility that even his father had, you know, and certainly not his grandfather had. So for him, you know to continue these you know provocative moves where he has really accelerated his nuclear uh development program the missile the ICBM development program uh, you know in a in a much more alarming way i think that has really uh gotten everyone's attention i mean I, allegedly yeah and the
1: propaganda machine being what it is like even though we see these uh missiles failing the North Korean people don 't see that right no. they don 't know no. that they 're failing
2: they may they may not know that at all or if if that is let out it 's that the u s you know blew it up or something like that so uh, and China, who knows I mean obviously China is could be really key to corralling North Korea. Um, but, you know, we're not I mean, and for the last two weeks, China's been doing a great job, right? They've refused some, you know, shipments of coal. They've been putting pressure on the North Koreans, but we don't really know what the Chinese end game is there either. You know, I mean, they have enjoyed the fact that North Korea causes the United States problems and that a United Korean peninsula where we would have a strong U S presence is presence is not something that China probably wants. So, you know, So when do,
1: when do you pack and go, Julie, what's your plan? When, 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 when are you going to be boots on the ground? Uh,
2: You know, it just it is really uh, and truly alarming, you know, and I think I I think it's the two facts. It it is both, you know, it's the grandson and his actions and and sort of the unintended consequences of our actions that I think, you know, people don't know. It's just so unpredictable what Mm -hmm. uh, what you know, what North Korea will do or what other moves the United States might make. So Now didn't uh, you
1: say when you went
0: like in their minds they're still fighting the Korean War. That they're is, still fighting right. the Korean
2: War. You know, they and they're still, you know, and that you know the other thing is that they, you know, every you know, every road we're on it was like a runway. You know, it was like they were they were in military preparedness. They were ready to go. And I the, the other thing is if for some ring some reason Kim Jong Un decides that he wants to invade South Korea, There is there is nothing holding those North Koreans back. It's not like they're going to be like, "Mm, no, I don't want to go to war because I have this really nice beachfront property uh, in North Korea. They have nothing there. They have no food. You know, they you know, so that if they're told to, you know, they have to attack, they you know, I'm sure that could be it. But I think the missile it's the missile development, which, you know, would seem to be, uh, you know, North Korea's advantage because, uh, because, they, you know, that is what people are really the most worried about, I think, at this point. Yes. So. Uh, as a West Coaster. Yes. Uh,
0: yeah. yes. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and I think the predictions that make, you know, that make me, you know, that I get very concerned about is when, you know, a lot of there's been a lot of TV commentary on this. You know, I mean, let, I, let's admit it. We don't really know what's going on in North Korea. I mean, and that for people who are saying, well, oh, we don't have to worry. They don't have the ICBMs yet or they're not fully developed or, you know, we're not really sure about that. You know, uh, we just uh, just as you were mentioning a couple of podcasts back, Liz, that if the United States states is seeking the advice and counsel of Dennis Rodman, you know, for, uh, for information on North Korea, you have we have to assume that. You know, we don't have a lot of good, you know, intelligence sources that are there that really know the state of things. So uh,
1: maybe uh, we should send uh, Elizabeth McCord. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's a maybe it's a Ta situation.
2: <laughs> I, I think, you know, it's just hard to it's I mean, if our end game, if the United States end game is to get them to stop their nuclear uh, development, uh, you know, program. I, I, you know, I don't. She know. might
1: have one of her light bulb moments. But I hope we
2: have to hope for that because that's what we've been trying to do for the last twenty years is to get them to stop, and it hasn't really worked. So I don't know what's going to stop them now, other than China. I mean, that would be the only thing. So because you you could really see the very strong influence of China in North Korea, but if they but if this guy just wants to be a bad boy, or right, if he right. feels like this is the only right. way he can shore up his authority in this country, you know, that's, that's what we yeah. really have to be worried about. So, okay. okay. That's the latest, but I am monitoring the situation. Thank you, Julie. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. On to a different topic, um, but
0: something that was in the papers this weekend, at least here in the LA times, I enjoy obituaries. And, uh, you learn a lot in obituaries and there was an obituary for a guy that I had never heard of. His name is Bob Taylor. And apparently we owe we all owe Bob Taylor a debt of gratitude if we are if we own a personal computer if we ever use the internet if we enjoy laser printers cuz Bob Taylor ran the lab that was responsible for almost everything we use now to make our modern lives modern and really? uh, he died this weekend at 85 sorry I just hit an ad. That's why there was uh, music. Yeah. <laughs> he died this weekend at 85, and Michael Hiltzik, the um, really great columnist and journalist at the L.A. Times, first wrote his obit and then wrote a follow-up piece because apparently Hiltzik had written a book on this lab. And the lab was in the 1970s. It was in Silicon Valley before Silicon Valley was called Silicon Valley. Xerox owned it. It was called the company's fabled Palo Alto Research Center. And from that, they developed Alto, the world's first com- personal computer, the laser printer, the Ethernet local area network, which would become the Internet, the graphic design computer display. So, which Apple, both Apple and Microsoft stole, uh, straight up stole. Like how we interface, <laughs> yeah. they admit it. At least, at least uh, Bill Gates admitted it. Steve Jobs never would, but Bill Gates admitted it for Steve Jobs. Like, hey, we stole it, and they stole it, and it all. We all stole it from Park, from zero, well, And I
1: am glad they did because yeah. that just makes it so much easier.
0: Yes. Uh, and other pioneering advances in computer hardware and software, uh, the guys from this lab, and they were all men, they went on to found pretty much every other Internet company. They had prime positions at Microsoft and Apple and Adobe and, and you name it. But for about eight years in the 70s, this was like the hottest place on Earth uh, for computer science development. And um, what was interesting was this guy, Bob Taylor, was not a computer scientist. He was a psychologist. And he had come from the Pentagon where he had developed very early prototypes of the Internet and then uh, didn't like sort of the government interference, didn't like the way the government wouldn't let the scientists do what they wanted to do. All their work started to be focused on the Vietnam War as opposed to computer science. So Xerox hired him away, and he brought all his computer scientists out to Palo Alto. And they said what was fascinating was that, like, imagine computer scientists. That's a hard group to manage, right? I mean, they all have very quirky personalities. They have very strong personalities, they all have egos. They're all geniuses. And so instead of putting another computer scientist in charge, they put a psychologist in charge. And he had a management style that they said completely worked. And so I wanted to run this by Liz. Uh, sure. Liz Dolan, host of the business podcast, I Hate My Boss, and Julie mm-hmm. Dolan, uh, MBA holder. Okay. They said his management style... Let me look at it. Just... I want to get the wording right. Okay. Hold on. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, I'm working off a... Okay, they said essentially his management style was that um, he was super aggressive with the people at his level and above, but very nurturing of the people who worked below him. So he believed in conflict amongst peers and managing that and getting the best of each other out of it by sometimes, you know, really scrapping and fighting and, you know, presenting your ideas and having other people tear it apart. But that did not involve, like, abusing your assistant. And they said it was the perfect sort of management soup for getting the best out of this team out of Palo Alto. Have you ever... What do you think about that?
1: Wow. I'm just trying to imagine if if I've ever, like operated that way. And uh, no, I would always, my approach has long been like really try to have a positive working relationship with your peers. So I guess it depends on how you, uh, you know, how you define what that is when you say super aggressive at his level. If they like to mix it up and yell and scream and compete and all of that, if that got the best out of each other. Certainly, I've been in companies where that's you know that's the way some people operate it was never really my mo because i didn't i didn't feel like that kind of super aggressive culture would be one that i would want to be in you know wouldn't get the best out of me but when you when you talk to people who like were worked at microsoft or worked at apple i mean yeah it did seem like they were competing slash terrified all the time (laughs) yeah Right, you know? and this yeah. is where
0: it started. I thought it was kind of interesting. Here's the phrase I was looking for: uh, "Someone who worked for him said he created maximum synergy in the room by showing maximum maximum pugnaciousness upward and minimum pugnaciousness downward." So that was it. Yeah. He was sort of in the middle and, like, you know, let the top people tough it out but then really protected the bottom people but it does make me think liz this is where the silicon valley culture started no wonder there are no women in tech
2: this yeah, is maybe right. not right. you know
0: where women it's would not succeed
2: work i mean he would never in an age where 360 degree uh like reviews so yes. feedback he would flunk that because because you know, maybe the f- feedback with all these people that he's fighting with wouldn't be positive, you know, even though he, if he would get positive feedback from those that reported to him. But, yeah, it sounds like a horrible, hostile environment. <laughs> no, I, don't,
0: I don't, th- that's not what people said. They said he was kind of the magician in that, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in that way, that he just he didn't believe he was really a middle manager. He wasn't the senior computer scientist. He yeah. was managing the lab. But they said, you know, he, he didn't schmooze upward to you know to okay. make things okay happen. well
2: that that, he... that does garner respect yeah i think right and you you try to protect your people right uh so that uh, you can see that hmm. yeah so yeah I thought that pugnaciousness was...
1: that's such an interesting word isn't it yeah yeah that... yeah
2: maximum pugnaciousness
0: upward <laughs> so <laughs> but he's revered and respected and the people who work for him he created incredible technology they had complete productivity and the other thing that Hiltzik also mentioned in this article was but then it has a lifespan because the 70s they rocked and by 1980 it was done like whatever the magic soup was that created all these great projects it was done. It was over and he was replaced as the leader in 83 of the lab but they had already put out like this incredible output but and then it was no more. So there is a lifespan to that management style I think. Mm -hmm. You can only do that for so long. You know, it's in a lot of creative environments. I think it's that way when you're on a movie set or a TV show or something. There's, you know, people yeah. are arguing for their point of view and things like that. But it is kind of why, you know, series have a lifespan and things like that. It's not that old remember
1: when we when we interviewed Phil Knight a few months ago about his memoir, Shoe Dog, about the early days of Nike. Their management meetings, this is well before I was there, their management meetings were called butt face meetings. <laughs> They just called each other the most horrible things. It sounds very similar. Yeah. it sounds like they were very pugnacious with each other. I mean, it was a, uh, they were you know building a company together that turned out to be a great great company. But between them, they were just super competitive.
2: But isn't that sort of a real male trait? Like you see that in young and you know, like little boys, like they fight in, with each other. But then they go off and play. But you know, like girls, and you know, you can't you can't just be pugnacious with with the opposite sex in the same way. I, don't, I think I don't we know could
0: first. develop more pugnaciousness though. Tougher skin. Oh. I mean, I do. I think like, I think Perhaps, back on yeah. some of the women I've worked with who've been re- so conflict averse, I think it's hurt their careers. You know, sometimes you do have to mix it up and then you can all go to lunch together. Yeah, You know, it's not, that's the, true. It's not the worst thing in the world. To not agree with everybody in the room all the time. Oh, correct. correct. Yeah, but yeah. pugnacious suggests fighting. Like, it's fighting. It's, it's, it's fight- pugilist. It's, it's yeah, yeah, from the Latin pugilare, to
1: fight, yeah. so Yeah, and there's also still enough of a double standard that a woman who behaved in a pugnacious way would not be positively viewed in a lot of business cultures. You know, the men can get away with that kind of behavior in a different way than than women can. So it's a, that's a tough one to walk. But I agree with you, like, women need to speak up more, not take everything so personally. It's really not personal uh, in the business environment. Right. Uh, but it's,
0: it's also good to
1: take care of the people
0: that work beneath you, you know? Absolutely. That being absolutely. a jerk to them has no, there's no value to that. No value. You know, really right. supporting them and their careers and what they need to do, that's important. So I thought that was the other interesting piece. Like, if you're at my level, we can have at it. But mm-hmm. if you work for me, I'm going to protect you. I thought that was interesting. Liz, you know we love talking about Framebridge, don't we? We do. <laughs> because, because there are just so many fun things to frame Leon, aren't there? See why Framebridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit framebridge.com or see a local Framebridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's framebridge.com. Thanks, Framebridge. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling I mean, and chilling sure. there yes. with, your, with your butcher box. What, what do you got going on
1: the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm going to be up in, in Bend for part of the summer, yeah. I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's I mean, great. Go on vacation with your butcher box is what uh, what, uh, what I'm recommending. Yeah, either way, you're just going to buy <laughs> meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, you know, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good. And the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready.
0: That's right. Butcher Box gives you peace of mind and easy to find high quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass fed beef, free range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate free, and wild caught seafood. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash sisters and use code SISTERS to
1: choose your free-for-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. am not going to terrorize the people underneath you. Well, you know, my, my co-host on I Hate My Boss, this guy named Larry Seal, who's great, and he's an actual executive coach, like qualified to give advice on these things. So I'm going to ask Larry's advice on maximum pugnaciousness upward. Yeah. as as a strategy. Talk
0: about and, it. It's in the, it's, yeah. it's in the LA times today. I'll put links on the satellite sisters page, but it's, it's really an interesting this guy has led an interesting life, you know, and that's, and you've never heard his name, Bob Taylor. So, uh, but thank Bob you, Bob. Taylor. Thank
1: you, Bob for making
0: this podcast possible.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: okay. Speaking of uh, maximum pugnaciousness, I saw a story about a study that was done of the debates Inside the Supreme Court during a Supreme Court argument, like who's talking, who's interrupting, who's shutting other people up. It was really fascinating. It was done by Tanya Jacoby, a law professor at Northwestern, and she had a law student sort of study like who interrupted who, how often. And so what did that say about the balance of power on the Supreme Court? And some of it was political, you know, conservatives interrupt liberals at significantly higher rates Um, but uh, the part that interested me was the dramatic gender difference that, um, the study considered 7,239 interruptions in arguments from the years 2004 to 2015, because they have the written transcripts and of the, um, of all of those interruptions, 32% were of women and just 4% were by women. Hmm. And that's a very dramatic difference. So there's a quote here. If female justices are consistently interrupted more than their male counterparts in this context... It would show that gender dynamics are so powerful to persist even in the face of high levels of power achieved by women. In other words, yeah, I mean, you're talking about women who are used to speaking up for themselves. Right. Justices Sotomayor, Justice Kagan, obviously notorious RBG. They are not easy to shut up. And yet there seems to be a lot of effort on the part of their colleagues on the port. Oh, here's another one. So apparently... Scalia and Breyer famously argued all the time, and Scalia was constantly interrupting Breyer. And Breyer was like, droned on and on forever. So they said, if you took those out, uh, the Scalia-Breyer exchanges, then the only three justices who are interrupted more than 100 times in that period of time are Ginsburg, Sotomayor, and Kagan. That is I,
2: I read sucking. the headlines. I didn't read all the details, but it was yeah. so depressing. Like you could be <laughs> Supreme Supreme Court, Supreme Court Justice. Justice. Okay.
1: Well, what more do they want getting,
2: from these women? They're still mansplaining and interrupting you.
1: <laughs> I know. interruption at the very, very highest level. So it's a very interesting story. We'll put it in the show notes if you want to read it. Um it was just, you know, some things never change. Here you go. Oh. Right. So the, and even, and they had also some of the stats for Sandra Day O'Connor, who was obviously the first woman on the court. So there you have it. There's, we're still, there's still room to grow. Ladies. Pugnacious, pugnacious management. Let's do it. Let's
0: go for it. Put up your dukes. Uh <laughs> All right. Last week, my husband and I went on spring break. We did it. We went skiing. We haven't been skiing alone together in over 20 years. And we just haven't been skiing at all in about four or five years. So um, a couple of observations. First of all, what happened to me? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) what happened to me? It was more taxing than you expected? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I was quite a skier. And I, you know, I could still hold You were my own. you were a
2: ski bum. You were like an <laughs> official ski bum. Yes. You are an expert skier, Liam.
0: Yes. And uh and and I just I mean, by one o'clock, two one thirty in the afternoon, I was like, We gotta call it a day, man. I don't think I can go on. But I mean, I was surprised. Like every bone and every muscle in my body hurt <sighs> every day. And all night long for five days.
2: Like that's what a leave is for. That, Leon. that's yes. what it's
1: for. I was going to say Advil, but same thing. It's <laughs> well, Advil I, with your cocktail.
2: I know. I
0: mean, oh, and then speaking of cocktails, like I have never in a million years. I don't drink when I ski. I don't have a beer at lunch or anything. I never have, you know, but I would have it a But the first day we got there, it was beautiful spring days, 1230. We got we got right up on the mountain. We skied till four and three thirty, We went in to have a beer. Like my husband ordered one. I thought, Oh, I'll have one. I could barely ski down the mountain. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, it is a good thing. It's a good thing I don't do that because I'd be dead. Because that was like I was like this run. I don't think I can make it. I mean, Mammoth is a huge mountain. The runs are really really long. Like oh my gosh, why did I have that beer? So that was a life lesson. And but I was surprised at the effects of uh, at the effects of age uh, and the effects of alcohol, and then. Just in general, it was slightly depressing that all of my gear just started
2: to like fall
0: apart. Like, <laughs> so, that's a
2: sign from the universe, Leanne.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had a pair of ski poles that i got in jackson hole 30 years ago when i worked there they were free so i've really gotten my money's worth out of them and they just they just disintegrated like on one run the baskets were gone everything i had to buy new ski poles i had a pair of silk long underwear that i've worn for 30 years gone just <laughs> just like <laughs> by the last day Shred- you shredded, it? shredded <laughs> it barely barely put it on like One day, it was a blizzard. We have gotten so much snow in California. Mammoth has over 600 inches, which is a huge amount of snow for a season. And on Thursday, it was not spring skiing. It was in the teens. It was blowing 60 miles an hour. It was snowing. But we were skiing, you know, because I still think I'm 23, and I love skiing in the snow. So I went out there. And I couldn't for the – I mean, not only was it a whiteout, I couldn't see – and then I really couldn't see because my goggles were wet inside. And I, I had to take my goggles off and ski down with no goggles, with the wind blowing in your face. And oh, and I got down, I looked like all the foam that covered the top of my goggles had just disintegrated. So there's just basically <laughs> giant, there's like water inside my goggles. I was like, this is it. Like, I either have to re up everything or just give up the sport. But then, then you have 10 great turns, you know? And you're yeah. reminded why you ski, and you think God is talking to you through your skis. So you just go, <laughs> yeah. "Oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't give this sport up." <laughs> so we just had a lot of fun, and you get so many runs in when you don't have any children with you. It's just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no one to feed, no one to make sure they have their gloves and make sure they have this and the logistics and the you know people on the cell phones now skiing. You know, making lunch plans and everything. Oh, remember just Smoking. let's. M- remember smoking just, pot as yeah. you're going
2: down the hill yeah. yeah there's a lot more of that too right? yeah
0: well maybe in colorado i didn't actually see a lot of that in california but i'm sure maybe it was on the higher i never i never made it to the top of the mountain that's how old i've gotten never made it <laughs> never made it to cornice bowl this trip so uh but remember when you just used to say see you at the big mountain lodge at 12 like yeah that, that was it you didn't <laughs> that's not 10 phone you didn't calls.
1: have to constantly check in <laughs> yeah <laughs> Anyway, but okay, we, that sounds fun though. Yeah,
0: we did. We had an absolutely uh, fantastic time, but I do have one, uh, thing, one question about, is it me or is it him? We get up to Mammoth. I have secured a house sitter. It's a classmate of my son's. Brooks is going to be staying here a little bit to Steffi's all taken care of. I, my husband gets a call. Oh, Hey Dan. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We'll get you the keys. Brooks can get the keys over to you. I look at him. I'm like, what? He said, oh yeah, Dan and his son are going to stay at our house while we're gone.
2: <laughs> did not, did not tell
0: me we were having additional house guests, oh. my husband.
2: Cause maybe you left in a flurry. Things were not as, you know, uh, I, no, I mean, I mean, you the know, thing- I know Leon, Leon is a hostess with the most. Yes. And if you go to Leon's house yes. as a house guest, I mean, it is, you have a fabulous guest room and you get a hot dinner with two sides yeah. always, you know. So yeah. um, it's only lands at
0: hospitality. Yes, Julie. Yes. Yes. yes,
2: yes, yes. You do. So I can see like unexpected guests that that really can, you know, just, throw a rent in I your know, vacation he, plans.
0: I was like, what, "Did you know?" He goes, "Oh, he just fudged it. He pretended he had told me, but he had." So then it was just a free for all, like. We only have one extra house key. There are four people. Like we do have a new strange dog. Like I don't know. Maybe when giant people. These are both like very tall guys. I was like, when giant people show up at the house, she may not respond well. He goes, Leon, they're guys. No one cares. Like and was, <laughs> I
1: was like, I care. I care.
2: That's, that's you do that's, care. But Lian, maybe I you don't,
1: just don't need to care in absentia. Oh, <sighs> if you're." Not. If no, you're not that, there to witness it.
0: Yeah. I thought. I hope he doesn't tell his wife, gosh, she didn't even have any beer or sparkling water. Like, I didn't put any food in the house. I mean, I had cleaned the bathrooms, but that was just a stroke of luck. So, anyway, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand that. Julie, when you come, you're getting the full guest suite
2: situation. I'm looking forward to it, yeah. Leanne. Fluffy, fluffy towel. Yeah. Fluffy. It is, yeah. It's, the, it's the hot meal and two sides I like. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, I had one funny travel thing I was working on yesterday. Next month I am going to uh New York because it is Sheila's daughter Ruthie is graduating from uh, getting a master's from the NYU Film School is part of the very same graduation ceremony that another niece of ours, Catherine Dolan, our brother Jim's uh, younger daughter, is getting her master's from the School of Public Health. And they do all the graduate school graduations at NYU are together in Yankee Stadium, sisters. That's
0: fantastic.
1: And Catherine emailed me last week. She knew, she knew I would be so excited to hear this. Their graduation speaker is Pharrell. So oh my that, gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> that will be very cool. So I was, I had, I had made my reservations a while ago and then I was just checking in with Delta, you know, on a couple of things. And I was on hold, I dialed into Delta. They said, um, your, uh, uh, the wait for this call will be, three hours. <laughs> no way. I, like, I thought they were kidding. Oh, this isn't even the crazy. I thought they were kidding. Like, well, that must be a mistake of I mean, And, but I was on hold for like, I don't know, almost two hours before I finally gave up. It's, I was sitting at my desk. So, you know, you can just leave the phone on the speakerphone on. And if they ever pick, so they never picked up. So ultimately I had to hang up, but while I was on hold for almost two hours, uh, you get the recorded message over and over again. And here's what I, I mean, it's just such a cliche to talk about how bad airlines are. So I won't beat this into the ground, but you know what they do now as a marketing person, I have somewhat of an appreciation that they take things that like used to be free or used to be obvious and package them up as a new service. This is a new service we are providing you. So what Delta is doing, I'm in the class. Of ticket they call Comfort Plus, which is really just economy, which of Uh, course sounds like a tampon too. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So Comfort Plus, okay. And but here's one of the special services they have at Comfort Plus. When you buy, well, someone's ringing my door, but I will not be answering. (laughs) When you um have a Comfort Plus ticket, you get dedicated overhead bin space sisters. <laughs> and here, here's what they say. This is a benefit because quote, this is an exact quote. Cause I heard it a thousand times. So you can rest easy knowing your things are at hand. <laughs> like that? what? You're kidding me like that. You're selling me that now the <laughs> fact that my, that I have my stuff with me. That's it. that that's I
2: have it, to carry it, all my bags on because yeah. it costs to check my
1: bag. Yeah, that's a thing you invented because you know you thought I would like. Well, where else would my things be besides at hand? Uh, so, <laughs> well, yeah, when so, they
2: force you to gate check it, that I guess that's what they're talking about. I guess, I or guess. when the overhead bin is already jammed because they have some cockamamie boarding procedure that <laughs> where you end up boarding last and there's no room next to your seat. So
1: I can no. see. I can see okay, it's well, a that, little yeah, bit
2: of one, a ben- benefit, Liz, you know. The
1: one piece of bad news about this whole thing, which, you know, I'm ho- hopefully I will be getting my own. Uh, I will be able to rest easy because my things are at hand. Um, <laughs> this is just I never, ever, ever, ever fly Delta. But I am because I had some miles, whatever. But the day that I'm flying to New York, Lee, and you've probably seen all the news about this in Los Angeles, that whole week will be the biggest change Of airline gates. Yes. In the history, there are 21 airlines switching places at LAX that week. Oh. So that Delta can move into their new terminal, the newly refurbished Terminal 2. So Delta is moving from Terminal 5 to Terminal 2. I won't bore you with the details, but the only week ever I am flying on Delta
2: is the week that all of that is happening. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of confusion. You're going to want to get in that overhead space, Liz. Anyway,
1: it's worth it, because I got the graduation at Yankee Stadium with Pharrell. So <laughs> uh, good. I'm pretty good. excited about that. Um, okay, one last thing. A book recommendation I wanted to make. The uh, In my new book club, the book that we read this month um, – is it's also number one on the bestseller list. It's Lincoln and the Bardo, a novel by George Saunders. Oh, okay. Yeah. who? I I haven't read it yet, but I love his writing. Yeah. It's fascinating. I had never read anything by him. He's a short story writer. This is his first novel. So his short story collection, 10th of December, is his most well-known thing. Anyway, so Lincoln and the Bardo. Uh, I bought the book, like the bookie book, but then I also love Audible, so I listened to it on Audible as well. I actually find it, I don't know, more pleasurable when I take my walk every day to listen to my books that way. I got to say, this is the most insanely great audio book ever. Because oh, the, that's a good review, Liz. Uh, it is. Julie, you cannot, he's got 166 different narrators in this thing. Holy cow. Th- without giving too much away. The book takes place in a graveyard, and the graveyard has a lot of voices. And so the main uh, characters in this graveyard are played by people like Nick Offerman, David Sedaris, Bill Hader, Don Cheadle, Julianne Moore, Jeffrey Tambor, Susan Sarandon, and George Saunders himself does a bunch of the different voices. But it's really, when you see it on the page, it's kind of hard to read because it's a lot of fragments of conversation but when you hear it as an audiobook it all makes even more sense so if you're thinking about lincoln in the bardo and you already have an audible subscription i would recommend it but if you've never tried audible before and you want to hear just a particularly great piece of work produced in a fascinating way um i would suggest i think you know if you try audible.com Forward slash sisters, you might even still get our deal. Yeah, yes, they're a sponsor. So, and remember, you—I think you get a free 30-day trial with our deal, whatever that is. So, but I would really recommend. I know a lot of people are reading uh, Lincoln in the Bardo, but if you want to try listening, I would totally recommend it. And it's just a fascinating, fascinating story about Abraham Lincoln uh, when his son Willie died, and so he takes you off into this fanciful world of the ghosts but you're also rooted in all the the grief and the tragedy of the civil war so just just fantastic just passing that along really a fantastic listen okay
0: good recommendation i wrote it down wrote it down
1: uh wrote it down okay
0: Okay, i gotta go pack i gotta start packing no i know we gotta go (laughs) we gotta go (laughs) okay all right Uh, Okay, everybody, have a great week. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Yeah, better day. All right, safe travels, and don't forget, call your satellite sister.